0: Hey everyone, what's up? My name is Victoria Fix, and I am the host of your Weekly Fix podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today in talking about an issue that I am very interested in and care deeply about. You probably clicked on this podcast episode a little puzzled and confused, and I am looking forward to providing some clarity to the title and give you all a little insight. While I'm recording this, it's International Women's Day, so I just want to say happy International Women's Day to all the amazing women out there who have pioneered some amazing issues and causes for women, but also the entire country, for the world, and I just can't even imagine what the world would be like without women. I feel like I work the best with women. I feel like women are some of the best problem solvers and leaders and I just feel like this year especially there are so many women to celebrate who have really um, inspired me. So with that being said I am going to be talking a lot about women's issues this month for March um, but also ironically March is also National Criminal Justice Month. So, it's obviously very appropriate that not only do we talk about women's issues this month, but also issues related to criminal justice, which is why I'm here today and why you're listening to this podcast, because we're going to be talking about crime, which is one of my favorite passions and um, career choices. So, thank you for Joining me, I would like to plug the podcast Instagram. Please follow us at your weekly fix podcast, and I will also be sharing some things about criminal justice and women through the month of March. I try to do that anyway, but it's a special month. I think it's cool that we even have a month dedicated to criminal justice. I'm sure only a select few of us know that, some really serious, nerdy criminal justice people know that, but (laughs) in any event, thank you for being here, and let's get started. So the title of this episode is You're Probably a Federal Criminal, and I know that may shock you. It's a title of a paper. I did not come up with this. It is um, a concept that many people know of in the criminal justice community, and maybe you even know that it is not outlandish for you to think that you could possibly be a federal criminal. But for most people, I think average working folks who are not impacted by the criminal justice system consider themselves law-abiding citizens. And I challenge you today to look at the criminal justice system and to look at crime a little bit differently with this concept that I talk about we all look at criminal justice reform in various ways. So, there are reform efforts that are becoming widely supported by both Republicans, Democrats, and even extremes like libertarianists or socialists. Libertarians. I don't know why I said libertarianists. <laughs> Libertarians and socialists. However, we all, I think, come to the same conclusion but with through different viewpoints. So, like, Obviously, progressives tend to look at the criminal justice system as a through a humanitarian point of view, citing inhumane treatment and incarceration and racial injustice. Conservatives look at the criminal justice system through um, strength in law and order, but also looking at wasted tax, tax dollars and more through a financial lens. But I think this year, especially and in the past few years, criminal justice reform has taken... Um, hold of a lot of political arguments and becoming a lot more seriously and widely discussed. But today we're going to look at the criminal justice system through a different lens, and it's something that I've recently started to think about, especially since I started interning at the Cato Institute. It has been a frame of mind that has changed my perspective on the justice system and might help you also think differently. I always say that my goal is twofold, that Part of me wants to do research and be a criminologist and really look at ways that we can better understand crime and make improvements to the criminal justice system through research. But the other part of my mission is to also try to convince others that the criminal justice system doesn't just impact people that are involved in the criminal justice system, that it should matter to all of us, people who aren't involved, people who, um, don't think that it impacts their family or their circle. It does impact you, whether you think it does or not. So, today, I want to start by talking a little bit about a book that I have just finished called Injustice for All. It's a pretty, it's a fairly new book, and it describes how financial incentives have corrupted but can also fix the United States criminal justice system, and the authors are Chris Serpinant and Jason Brenner, and Brennan, excuse me, and I will also share information about this book in the show notes. Um, I'll add a link and also put some information about it on the Instagram. But because of this book, I've been challenged to kind of think of the criminal justice system in a different way. And what these two authors do is they talk about bad incentives and how the criminal justice system is not just bad apples, it's not just a few bad cops or a few bad prosecutors, but instead a lot of the failures of our justice system have come from uh, financial and bad incentives. And with that being said, we don't often look at the system by starting at where this, how the system exists, who it serves, and why we haven't seen change yet. And these authors provide some insight as to why that is. And a lot of it is through profit. You know, for me, I always thought that the only for-profit system uh, in the criminal justice system was the for-profit prison systems. And in hindsight, I cannot believe how naive I was to simply think that. But really, the entire system is designed to profit somebody or a group of people. The authors of this book make some points that I disagree with, and a huge one is that they believe that based on the incentives, based on financial incentives, that if we took racism out of the picture, the criminal justice system would still operate in the same way. We would still have increased incarceration rates. We would still be incarcerating the most individuals in the entire world you know, it would still look as inhumane, etc. And I just don't simply, like, buy into that claim. I think they did it to make a point, which is what I'm going to talk about soon, but I want to make it clear right now that it's actually very dangerous to paint a picture in talking about the criminal justice system without talking about racism because it is so deeply rooted with what we know as slavery and that the criminal justice system... Are, impacts people of color more than white people for a reason and any credible re- any credible person un- should understand that. So I just want to say that that's a huge part of the book that I disagree with and I would never buy into. I think that, like I said, is very dangerous but I think they're trying to make this point that it has more to do with money but the thing is is that even though it has more to do with money, people of color are at the expense of that. So the financial incentives, as they talk about, that there's a reason why police have to arrest X amount of people. There's a reason why police officers have to make a certain amount of traffic stops. There's a reason why prosecutors have to bring certain um, uh, cases to trial versus coercive plea bargaining, for instance. It may be easy for a prosecutor to just have a plea bargain occur so they can get as many cases under their belt as possible. And these actors in the criminal justice system have to keep fulfilling those bad incentives that they're, the system does not operate without money or green, if you will, behind the eyes of, of the operator. Now, you may still be confused and not buy into why um, the criminal justice system may impact you or why you are probably a federal criminal, but this is where another part of the conversation must be talked about, and that is over-criminalization and the power that our lawmakers have over us. There's a recent study... It's been in the past 10 years. The study of overcriminalization has really fallen off since the early 2000s, like 2010s. And I'm really curious as to why. I think a lot of the research happened after the murder of Eric Gardner because it was so obvious that his crime was so minor that it could have been done by anyone. Um, and I think that's why... Overcriminalization became a popular area of study, but that's just my theory. Today, we don't have as accurate of a number and we likely never will. But according to a lot of recent scholars, they say that approximately 75% of the population has committed a federal offense and that does not include drug offenses. So when you add drug offenses into that, and that even includes marijuana, we're likely looking at a higher estimate, somewhere around 90%. Harvey Silverglay, an author who wrote a book called Three Felonies a Day, projects that the average working person commits three felonies a day. And people really buy into that statistic. There hasn't been a counter, there hasn't been a follow-up because it's very hard to figure out because there are so many laws that we don't even really know how many laws there are. I read somewhere there's approximately like 300,000 federal laws. Um, A lot of people think they're off the books, but in fact, you can actually be prosecuted for a lot of really um, crazy minor offenses. The other thing is that if you just do some self-reflection... I think it's very easy to admit that we've all committed crimes. I've committed crimes. Maybe not federal crimes, maybe not felonies, but I've committed crimes. And there are certain states in the United States that are highly criminalized compared to others. So if you live in a certain state with a lot of um, sections of a penal code where they can arrest you for literally anything, you might have a greater risk of being incarcerated or impacted by the criminal justice system than I would maybe in New York that's less criminalized or California. But the question remains, are we willing to live in a society where we could be arrested at any point because of all the laws that are on the books that could prevent us from being free, prevent us from living our lives? And freedom should not be taken for granted. And it is for a lot of us white folks that don't think we're ever going to get caught for these things or be arrested for these things. But are we willing to accept that, that the only reason we incarcerate people of color is because we're trying to fulfill profit and it's easier to incarcerate brown and black folks than it is white folks? also we need to redefine what a crime is because when we talk about crimes when we talk about the crimes that you and i commit that people commit they probably shouldn't even be deemed as crimes are they really promoting any sort of um security threat to our communities is it you know hurting safety in our communities likely no but there are at any You know, I don't mean to say that Big Brother's watching, but there's a lot of things that we could get in trouble for that we don't even realize. A lot of times, two crime is committed without intent, and that's a different story. But we have over-policing in certain neighborhoods and so many laws on the books that make it almost impossible to be able to be fully free in the United States. The other part of it is hypocrisy, and I've been doing a lot of thinking about this, and it's the fact that there are so many people who are willing to commit crimes, but they never consider a punishment, and that happens a lot with white, upper-middle class, you know, high-class people, or even middle-class people like me. I don't think about getting arrested because I know that I'm likely not going to be arrested, and that is a privilege within itself. I read in this article um, where I first started reading about this phenomenon. It's called, You're Probably a Federal Criminal. Uh, you can look it up. But a quote says, It seems paradoxical that even though most of us have committed crimes, we continue to support laws and so- so social conventions that treat these convicted of the same acts as pariahs. And I stuck that stuck with me so deeply. And it's been what I have been thinking about so much and why I'm inspired to do this episode. Because it's so true that we are not we're human we're not humans really aren't well-behaved people you know there's law and order and and i consider consequences as a reason why i don't commit crimes or morality as a reason why i don't commit crimes but we often make mistakes and white people are willing to watch brown and black and people of color get arrested for the same crimes that we do and we think that it's okay that they are arrested And it's so backwards. You know, we were taught at a young age that bad guys and bad women went to prison and jail for doing bad things, but that's just not true. The real narrative should be we all do bad things and only some of us get caught. And if you've been around here for a little bit, you know that I am not talking about violent criminals. There are certain sociopathic people um, and people that have serious mental health issues that I'm not talking about. I'm talking about minor offenses, not even minor offenses, but nonviolent offenses is really what it is that often people commit very frequently. I mean, smoking marijuana is the one that I can think off the top of my head, but there's also, you know, insubordination. There's public disturbances. There are so many things that happen on my college campus at the University of Maryland that I see that... If there was as big or as large of a police presence, you know, they could easily arrest tens, maybe, I don't know, hundreds of kids a night on a weekend in College Park. But that's probably not going to happen because the system is designed to over-police certain neighborhoods to be able to arrest certain populations and... It's devastating, and it can really impact your entire life. It does impact your entire life. Crimes become less serious when white people start to commit them too, and that's another factor in this, that there was a war on drugs, but then when white people started to use those same drugs or had been all along, it became a public health crisis instead of a drug or crime issue. Same with sex work. When, you know, our the image that I have in my head of a prostitute or a sex worker is somebody who stands on the side of the street trying to make money and they were seen as criminals they're seen as criminals but there's also a lot of college-aged young women who are um, on seeking arrangements or on, on whatever website they need to to be able to make money to pay their tuition or to be able to Um, make some extra cash. That's now more widely accepted than the quintessential image that we have of prostitutes or sex work. Why is it that white, when white middle-class people start to commit the same crimes as black and low-income people, that it's then seen as more socially acceptable? You know, there's a major hypocrisy, a dangerous hypocrisy in the United States that we all commit crimes and we're not willing to look in the mirror and understand that Criminalization impacts certain people and it doesn't impact others. And that we're okay with putting people away in jail and prison for the same things that white folks do. And I think if we start to change the dialogue around crime and to really do some self reflection and think of the things that we've done in our lives that could put us in prison for a very long time, Um, I've watched people, white people, get in government vehicles. Um, When they're drunk to be stupid, you know, you could be jailed for that or prison for that. There are, um, I know many people who shoplift and steal, you could go to jail for that. And You know, there's it, there's so many things I could talk about that I I would love to talk about that go way beyond 20 minutes or 30 minutes of a podcast because there's a policing problem, there's a racial issue, there's a social class issue with this problem, there's a legal issue, there's an accountability issue that police officers and prosecutors are not held accountable for their misuse of the law. You know, it would take amendments, it would take decades, decades, and we probably won't ever see it to reform our laws to a point where they're actually adequate and fair. But if we can start by looking in the mirror and saying, I won't stand for this, I won't stand for the fact that people's mistakes lead them to prison time and jail time and the loss of their jobs and the loss of the right to vote and the loss of their family instability and home you know you know housing i think as a society we need to say our justice system just simply operates incorrectly that nobody should be punished to a certain extent for low level nonviolent crimes because it's part of our society we're not good you know humans aren't designed to be perfect And like I said, I'm not talking about rapists, murderers. I'm not talking about violent criminals. These are just average old folks that are doing either crimes of survival, economic crimes, doing things that many white people do and they don't get caught for. I'm also only brushing the surface. You know, we're not talking about the fact that these crimes should lead you, these crimes lead you to being incarcerated, but let's not talk about the inhumane treatment in incarceration or the inhumane treatment in courts or probation or parole, that not only do you suffer the consequences of your actions that, to me, are unwarranted often, but then you also suffer inhumane treatment that is immoral and shouldn't be accepted. I think that narrative shift of being able to say that a lot of these crimes people commit aren't crimes and shouldn't be crimes, period, let alone stripping somebody of their freedom for crimes that we all often commit or that you probably know someone who does commit it. Talk about self-reflection. You know, I may, you know, I've admitted I've committed a crime or whatever, but Think about the people you know that have committed even more serious offenses. Um, I can count many on my hands um, of people who have and have never been caught for it. Um, There's also crimes on our computers that we don't know we commit. There are so many different crimes that could lead you in a really compromised position. There are so many issues in the criminal justice system, like I said. I'm not even touching on, um, you know oh my gosh, even if somebody were to be caught and arrested in college park for a public disturbance or violence or something like that in in the community, they would often not be treated the same way as a person of color being arrested for the same crime. They would often probably be sent home, got a desk appearance ticket that their rich family can, you know, pay off and have the whole thing go away. You know, there's so much privilege and level of, um, injustice in the criminal justice system that goes way beyond over That's just s- Surface level and I just wanted to bring it up today as a something, you know A food for thought that I think that a lot of people could benefit from in redefining the justice system Not to mention there are so many people incarcerated who haven't committed crimes period, but maybe we'll talk about that another time my 20 minutes is up. (laughs) I said that I was going to keep these a little bit shorter. They're really just supposed to be things that get your mind moving and issues that I care deeply about and I hope that you start to care about them as well. So look out for new episodes this month on women's issues and criminal justice issues and I look forward to connecting with you all on Instagram and the coming weeks. Thanks guys. Bye-bye.